But maybe what you don't realize is that you are amazingly resilient for even being here and even wanting to take charge of your own life. talk more about the emotional, biological, and the social, what you do from there after your initial evaluation. Okay, you've got these three parts that you've discerned, you know, need a specific level of attention. What, what do you do from there? So the first thing is from a biological perspective, um, and this is sort of an interesting thing to talk about. There are a lot of people out there saying, hey, you know, do this and target that region and you'll change your brain. You know, neural circuits, there are billions of neurons. So they're very complex. There are, there are multiple circuits going on at the same time. In fact, the first thing I'll say about this is that people imagine they're either happy or sad or they're anxious or calm. But a lot of these, a lot of these opposites are operating in the brain at the same time. And more and more, we're beginning to see that we're very complex people. It's not a question of, being, of having your happiness circuit on and your sadness circuit off. It's a question of where you want to take your brain's flashlight, which is your attentional center, and how you want to, and which circuit you want to place it on. Now, do we know every component of the circuit? No. Do we know that we're 100% foolproof about this? No. But do we know that there are statistically significant ways in which you can change your life by changing how you use this flashlight? Absolutely. And so that's what we can start to talk about. We can start to say, so there's a big the attention, the way you think about things in your own head is very complex, but there's a flashlight effect that I refer to that is actually your, your, the, connect, the, the, new, the wiring that goes from your frontal cortex to your parietal cortex. So this flashlight, if you have the flashlight on the trauma and you keep it on the trauma, it, it's valid and it's real and we understand that, but you're not doing yourself any favors. You know, so a, a, a huge body uh, of studies has actually shown something that shocked me even when I wrote the chapter on it. So I've, I'm on a committee for disasters and disaster prevention and how you work with people in, in traumatized situations. And when you, you know, I, I, I was writing this chapter on debriefing and how after a trauma you might want to, directly after that you might want to debrief and say, this is what happened and talk to other people about it. I looked at the research and I was like, man, this research is strange. Like most studies show that debriefing either has no effect or a negative effect on the trauma. And so I wrote in just one sentence and then had it peer reviewed by other experts in trauma. And it came back with a huge red circle around, please remove debriefing. There is no evidence to show that debriefing helps at all. And so I looked a little further into trying to understand why this might be the case. Now, of course, if you have the trauma, you mention it and you talk about it, and you, there's some amount of venting that's necessary. But we tend to believe that if we go over it over and over again, we're helping ourselves. But what you're actually doing is imprinting the memory in your brain really firmly. And it's tempting to keep on doing this because there is a relief in it. You know, pain is an odd thing psychologically and physically. It's like when you're in pain, your body re releases endorphins and encephalins. And that's a metaphor for why sometimes we will revisit the pain because your body will release these other pain-relieving chemicals to make you feel better. You know, it's like, that's why sometimes a good cry is great. You know, our body works in complex ways. So if you, if you then say to yourself, okay, then I'm not going to debrief, part of what you need to realize is that 
You don't want to imprint these memories into your hippocampus, which is vulnerable. This is your long-term memory, which is vulnerable. You want to take this flashlight and place it on your resilience. Because anyone who is listening to this has most likely been touched by trauma in some way. But maybe what you don't realize is that you are amazingly resilient for even being here and even wanting to take charge of your own life. And I think so often, because you've had this major dramatic event that's trauma, you actually forget that you forget about your resilience. But no matter how horrible the trauma was, no matter how, mu how much you've suffered, you still are resilient and you have this capability in your brain. And there are ways in, we, in which we can turn this on so that you can take this flashlight and, and place it somewhere else. Let's talk about those ways. I mean, that's so important is knowing that, first of all, we, we do have a frontal cortex that makes us the most highly de developed beings in this world. So being able to use that as a, you know, as a judgment center, keep that turned on when we go into this primal state with our PTSD, that primal state of fear, there's that frontal cortex, hippocampal disconnect. You know what you say? Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, how do we, okay, regain that frontal control and know, and, and one of the big reasons, Srini, that I want to emphasize is that that whole sense of going through trauma, being disconnected, and, and in, in my book, I talk about the cortisol oxytocin disconnect, you know, <laughs> fatigue and disconnection, why we reach for a Red Bull in one hand and the divorce attorney in the other, you know, what makes us disconnect, burnout from our jobs, et cetera, and, and understanding, okay, well, there's a shift, our, our, why did we behave in certain in ways and I call it oxytocin seeking behaviors whether it's um, you know excessive shopping gambling drinking um, sex you know what are what are these oxytocin seeking behaviors that become therapy to us versus you know how do we refocus the flashlight give our frontal cortex regain that control regain that um, what do you call it that link that uh, focus of control that you know <laughs> highway control i don't know but yeah, yeah. powerful <laughs> this episode of the show is sponsored by the keto green shake mix the keto green shake mix is an all-in-one meal replacement shake that will help you with weight loss give you more energy help reduce hot flashes and reduce your struggles with other hormone related issues it tastes great and will help you feel full longer. It is plant-based protein with zero grams of sugar and all the vitamins and minerals you need. Find Keto Green Shake Mix at DrAnna.com and use the code SHOW10 to get 10% off your first order. So I think one of the things that happens is when you are under stress, stress precipitates habit pathways in the brain. It's what I call habit hell. And so you keep, you get stuck in your habit and you keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Now, the, the fancy psychological term for this is, there, there are many terms for it, but one of them is repetition compulsion. And this was first discovered when you know, a bunch of psychologists, including Freud, was, was sort of looking at, uh, Freud was a psychiatrist, but a bunch of people who were interested in human psychology were, were looking at the way children behave. And, and what they found was that, that it was a strange behavior that children threw their toys out then cried about the very thing that they did, uh, and then had their mothers bring their toys back, got really happy about it, but then the, threw the toy out again. And one of the things that they asked was, is it possible that as adults, we fall into the same pattern, where what we do 
is seek out repeating these traumatic events, like throwing it out, so we can practice recovering from it. And so I would just ask, say, the first thing that I would really ask people to think about more deeply is if you're caught in habit hell, if you find yourself relationship after relationship, you know, you think the person's great, you're like, with all the signals are fine, then how did you end up in this hellhole again? So like, you know, what's going on? What am I missing? Remember that your perception is probably affected because when your anxiety center is super activated, it, it goes, the earthquakes in your anxiety center translate into aftershocks in your thinking brain. So even the way you see the world, and you know, people will blame themselves for this. They'll say like, you know, look at me, I'm, I'm ridiculous, I'm idiotic. Like how, no, you're not an idiot. You have a high level of anxiety that's preventing you from seeing the world a certain way. Mm -hmm. So let's get cracking with figure out how, figuring out how we're gonna be controlling the center. Mm -hmm. So there's a mnemonic that I use called Circa, which is C-I-R-C-A, which is a simple mnemonic, but each of those letters stands for something. And each of those letters has a tremendous amount of research backing it up in helping to reinstate this anxiety center frontal cortex connection to decrease the anxiety. The C stands for chunking, which is essentially take this whole big situation and this horrible challenge ahead of you and break it down into one step at a time. Chunk it into little pieces because your brain gets overwhelmed when you think, oh my God, how am I going to go to work, take care of my kid, deal with this trauma, go on a date? It's like, wait a minute, let's chunk it down, figure out how we're going to do one thing at a time. And when you do that, your brain, your amygdala will actually relax because it activates your, your there's a working memory part of your brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex that, that actually gets activated. So, so the first thing is, is chunk it up. The second, which I actually do first when I, when I think about any of my own anxieties or when I work with people, is ignore the threat, the threatening narrative. You know how after a trauma, you actually have this threatening narrative, like, oh my God, how did this happen? And you get afraid all the time. Every time you see anybody, when you go on a date, if you see a war movie, if your trauma was, was you know, be, being a veteran, whatever it is, you start to get, you have all these thoughts in your head. And what we realize now is that thoughts, fear thoughts, are just electrical activations in your brain. Really, that's what they are. They're habitual electrical activations in your brain. And if you take your flashlight off of those activations and place it on your breath, it's as simple as that. It can really help you. Now, this may sound like a funny kind of image because it's, it's, it's like mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. And people often underestimate the power of this. But this can turn off your anxiety circuits. It can turn on your creativity circuits and it can even change your genes. And that's what's so powerful about it. So I would strongly recommend not leaving that step out. The R stands for reality check. And what reality check is, is this too shall pass. You know, whatever horribleness you're having in your life right now, no matter what's going on, it is going to pass because that's just the nature of time. So allow it to pass and allow yourself to be part of a changing world so that you can move toward what you want. The second C, is control check. And this is really just the serenity prayer, which is, you know, we try to control everything. It's like, oh my God, you know, my, my daughter's going to school. I don't know what's going on with her grades. How am I going to control my schedule? Is everything. Well, you know, you can't really control the stock market if you're not in the stock market. You can't really control the forces of the world that are just way beyond our control. So I would say identify two things that are beyond your control that you've been trying to control and let them go. And then the last A is attentional shift, which is taking your brain's flashlight 
and putting it on the solution. Yes, yep. you've had a trauma. Yes, yep. we understand the intensity of it. Yes, you can tell that story. But if you tell the story, tell it in the context of your resilience, of how you recovered from this horrible event, rather right. than I had this horrible event happen to me. Take the power back into your own hands. And then in that context, ask yourself, what would someone in my position do? Like there have been people in the world, even people who are vulnerable to trauma, who have overcome that, the, the ways in which trauma holds you back. So how do you do that? And those five steps, chunking, ignoring the fearful narratives, reality check, control check, and attentional shift, are one of the first five ways that I generally work with people in helping them take, stabilize what's going on in the anxiety center so your brain is not just overrun with anxiety and also help your thinking brain get back online. Because when you do that, then you will start to see situations differently. You'll see the jerk in the person who is a jerk. You'll see the potential trauma in a situation that is traumatizing. Whereas if your anxiety takes over, it, it just causes blindness to that kind of stuff and it perpetuates a vicious cycle. Thank you for watching this video. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel here and get those notifications and comment below. Let me know your thoughts, what you loved and what your action step is.